Jeff, Victor, John for leading us in song today. Thank you, Veronica, for um, giving us the announcements. We're in Ruth 2 today. Um, and for those who may uh, be a little newer, um, and, and no, John Ransom did not grow a beard in, in seven days. I am a different person. One of the, one of the guys that he's got in his bullpen when he and he takes off. Uh, he's in Tokyo with uh, with Linnea, uh, and and they're visiting the Bridge Fellowship, uh, which was planted by Joey and She Sells Arena a few years ago. So that's where they're at this morning. And uh, if you want to turn to Ruth two, follow along. We're going to uh, continue the story of Ruth and Naomi, um, and we're going to see this this theme develop today of God's kindness as the light that is dispelling the deepest darkness. Um, John talked about last week the, uh, the music score. If chapter one had a, had a music score, it would be, it'd be dark, be foreboding. Um, chapter two is where that first hopeful note is struck. And there is a, there is a ray of hope in Ruth two for two women who, for whom all hope seemed lost and today we're going to see God's kindness come powerfully and graciously to give hope uh, and to fulfill hope and to restore hope. So let's pray and we'll get started there in verse one. Father God, we thank you that you have given us hope. Um, if you had not given us hope and if you had not sent your son to be our hope, he himself is our hope. If, he, if you had not sent him and he had not done what he did, uh, we would have no hope. Our future would be bleak. It would be reality for us to have no hope. But you have given us a hope, and uh, and our and our hope is rooted and it's founded upon you and your covenant faithfulness and your kindness toward us. We pray that as we open up your word today, that you would open up our hearts and that you would um, you would you would help us to to be the good soil that receives the seed and, and responds and, and bears fruit. Uh, let us be he- not only hearers, but doers of the word. And let us be ones who receive the seed and, and bear fruit, Lord. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we've got 23 verses in Ruth 2. I've split these up into three sections. Uh, because three is the magic number, right? Three, you can't, you know, can't preach a sermon. Four or five is just weird. Um, I have had a preacher say, in closing, I have 17 points. I'm serious. I'm like, what? <laughs> so anyway, with that being said, uh, three, um, verses one and two is hope in God's kindness given by God's kindness. Verses three through 17 is hope in God's kindness fulfilled by God's kindness. And verses 18 through 23, hope restored by God's kindness. So we're gonna start in verses one and two here. We're gonna see hope in God's kindness that has been given by God's kindness. As we, see, as we saw last week, toward the end of chapter 1, verses, verses 22, Naomi and Ruth have, have made the journey to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This occurred around April and May, and the wheat harvest was a few weeks later. So the fields were busy. The reapers were out there. They were harvesting the crop. Um, they were, uh, the crop was then threshed and winnowed and then either stored or distributed. It was, it was a busy, busy time out in the fields outside of the city. And, and uh, as Ruth and Naomi are settling into a place in the city, Ruth takes the initiative and, and asks permission 
to go out and glean after the reapers because they were widows. Uh, Ruth and Naomi were widows and, and uh, Ruth had a certain, both of them had a certain opportunity to go and to glean after uh, the harvesters in the field, after the harvesters had been through. This was a form of generosity that had been instituted in Israelite culture back in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 we see that, um, that God commanded the farmers and the vineyard owners, don't strip your fields bare. Don't harvest all the way to the edge. Don't, don't harvest the corners. Leave them. And the, and the, the grain uh, that, that, that falls uh, to the ground inadvertently, don't, don't reach down and pick it up. Leave it. Leave it and leave some of it standing on the edges and the corners so that the widows and the, the poor, the sojourners and the orphans could come and gather something to sustain them. This is a society without a robust safety net. This is one of the only ways that the poor could gather something to sustain them. In other words, it was for people who had no family to lean on. And, and, and Ruth coming into this nation, has no family or clan. She has a mother-in-law who she has no covenant connection with. That was with her husband, who's now dead. She returns with her mother-in-law. And so also, this is a dark time in Israel. This is the time of the judges. The culture has degenerated significantly. Gleaning actually at this point carries a risk and a danger one commentator says that Ruth's determination to go out and glean as a young foreign woman was no less than courageous. If we also see this in light of Deuteronomy 23, just a chapter before that whole uh, command to leave, leave the, uh, the corners for the poor, in Deuteronomy 23, we see something very interesting. God um, says, you shall not let any Moabite into your assembly. That's Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And God's decree, his command to his people is in force. And so Ruth is showing up as a canceled person. You know, we live in a, a, a culture today where there is, people get canceled and some of them for good reason. Um, Ruth shows up, her whole people was canceled by God. How would you like to be a person was canceled by God. You cannot be part of my people forever. That's Ruth. She comes in and she, she comes into a culture that has degenerated and she comes in as a, as a unwanted person in a lot of ways. So she is, she is in, in more danger than, than others. She was risking harassment, harsh treatment. She could get screamed at. What are you doing here, foreigner? Why, why have you come to Bethlehem? You're, you know what your people did to us? You know what Deuteronomy 23 says? God commanded that we should not allow you into our assembly. She was even getting she was, she was risking being physically or sexually assaulted. She had no family or clan nearby that if she was in distress, she could call out to and they would hear her. There's no police. There's nobody who would come to her rescue. And so she goes out in those conditions and she goes out with a hope. Before we get to that, Naomi, Naomi's reply to, to Ruth asking for permission to go out, she simply says, go, my daughter. As in, this is our only, only option. If you do not glean, the cabinets will be bare. We will not have food. As chap John preached in chapter one last week, one of the things he highlighted was Naomi's bitter response to her circumstances and what has transpired in her life. She was not grieving well. And, and a root of her dysfunctional grieving, we can spot it in chapter one, verse 20, in her theology. In the way that she articulates it, she says in verse 20, chapter one, she says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's all that she says. When she returns after all these years of being in Moab, all that she, her summary is, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She characterizes all that God has done in her life with one word, bitterly. 
She takes the tragedies that God has allowed at one point in her life and projects it out as the singular theme of her story. Now, let's be fair to Naomi. Let's be fair that those were tragedies. This is a dark time. This is a really tough time. This is a deep darkness that she's in. But despite that, she has, the fact is she has projected too far. She's assumed too much about God's designs as chapter three and four will show plenty about. And you know what? We often do that too. When we're overwhelmed by what's going on currently in our lives, our current circumstances, we often get overwhelmed and we begin to say, what is God doing to me? God is like, like he's dealing, he has dealt bitterly with me. We, we, we're tempted to color all of God's works in, in our life as it's been bitterness. So out of her belief that God's hand is one of bitterness in her life. She changes her name to Mara, meaning bitter, indicating that the bitterness in her heart has begun to affect her at the identity level. And so there's something about what you believe about who God is and what he has done that directly affects and your, your identity and your identity really flows out of and what you do flows out of. A lot of times we're at this level where we're like, I keep doing this and I shouldn't do this. And we try to attack sin at the superficial level when there's a root down there about what we believe about who God is and what he has done and it's defective and it keeps bubbling to the surface in this lopsided, one-sided identity, this warped, distorted view of God's identity and what he has done and it causes us to have a distorted warped identity and just causes us to have a distorted, warped life. It flows out of who we believe God is. If we believe that God is the one, he's, he's heavy-handed. He deals bitterly with us. He, he, he gives us tit for tat. He, he, never, he never leaves us alone. He's always on top of us. If we believe that's what he is and what he does, then our identity and what we do will reflect that. And we're seeing that here in, in Naomi. The hope in God's kindness here. I said that verses one and two showed a hope in God's kindness. It's not Naomi's. It's Ruth's. It's in an unexpected place. A, a, a canceled person. A person who's a foreigner who was not born in Israel, not born uh, and raised in Israelite culture, hasn't maybe heard all the stories, maybe a few of them from her husband before he died. Maybe she heard some of those about God's covenant faithfulness. But it is Ruth, through God's kindness, through God's grace, it is Ruth, the one who has this hope begin to blossom first. She recognizes that she's one of the lowest socioeconomic statuses in the community without the means to sustain herself and much less her mother-in-law. So she looks to someone else to show her kindness. She has nowhere else to turn. She has no job prospects. In the midst of her own grief and despite her mother-in-law's bleak theological framing of their circumstances, Ruth had a hope that God would show her kindness. Now we're not told in great detail about Ruth's faith. The, the, the narrative doesn't go in great detail about that. But we do know some things about Naomi. She was given the opportunity to go back to her people and to their gods, and she turned it down. She turned it down for what? Her mother-in-law who could not provide her a husband, her mother-in-law who could not provide her food, her mother-in-law who is in despair, who, who bear, isn't talking a whole lot. She's very short on words. And she turns down this opportunity to go back to what she's familiar with and her people and her gods. She turns it down. For what? It's not for Naomi. That would be my, my argument. She, she cares for Naomi, but it's not her hope. She cares for Naomi and she wants to take care of her, but where is she going to get the means? What is her hope for, for getting what she needs to sustain herself and her mother-in-law? It's not coming out of Naomi. Naomi doesn't have that abundance. She's in despair. 
God is the one who has the abundance that Ruth needs and Naomi needs. And she's looking to him. This is my, this is my argument. We see not only that she turned down the, the opportunity to go to the, back to the gods of, her, of the people she was born in, but she also says to Naomi in verse 16, your God will be my God. A slight majority of commentators, not everybody has agreed on this, but a slight majority would point to this moment as likely being the point of Ruth's conversion. And someone might object, fairly, that Ruth's statement is not a true hope in God, that it is more of a statement of a commitment to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Chapter 1, verse 16. The you and the your pronouns there all are referring directly to Naomi. They are. Where you go, I will go. She's not saying this to God. She's not kneeling before God. She comes to Naomi and she says this. So someone might say that any hope that Ruth has in God is a piggyback of Naomi's hope. There's a number of reasons why I think that that's not true. And the main one is Naomi's not got much hope to piggyback on right now. She's not giving much hope to piggyback on. And Ruth's hope is distinctly different, is following a much different pattern than Naomi. And her pattern of response to bereavement is very different from Naomi's as well. She's, Ruth is not changing her name and accepting an identity of bitterness. She's not accepting the narrative that Naomi is speaking about God's hand just being against her. For all of the details that we are not given about Ruth's faith, we do see someone here with a measure of hope in God's kindness. For, for whatever, however much she understands about it or how much it has developed at this point, there is a measure of hope in God that has been stirred by God and has been caused to grow by God. It is a gift to her. We see circumstances that two women have experienced very similar tragedies and circumstances that are a perfect mixture for cynicism and for bitterness. And if God doesn't work in that directly, that's what will grow is bitterness and cynicism. If he leaves us alone in, in our circumstances without causing hope to grow directly by his grace and the activity of his spirit, that's what will grow. If, if a farmer does not go out into the field or a gardener doesn't go out into their garden and pull out the weeds and till the soil and cultivate it, it's not gonna happen. It's gonna grow weeds because the ground is dysfunctional and broken because of this fallen world just like our hearts. Our hearts will just grow those weeds of bitterness and cynicism if God doesn't come in and cultivate and cause hope to grow and plant what is not already there. He plants the seeds of hope. They're from him. They're out of his abundance. He's the originator of it. It doesn't originate in us. It is a gift from God. God, in his kindness, causes hope to grow in us for the things he plans to give us in his kindness. It begins with God and it ends with God. In his kindness, he gives us the hope and in his kindness, he fulfills the hope. And now that's where we're gonna turn in verse three. But let me ask you something to think about when you leave today. What hope has God kindly given you? And as you'll hear me argue today, he has given it to you. My question is not, has God given you a hope. My question is, what specific hopes has God given you? He's personally customized a set of hopes, planted in them in your heart. You, in your quiet time, should sit down, you should write out what God has placed in your heart, those hopes that God has given you, and thank him for them. He has kindly gifted them to you. As we turn to verse 3, we turn to hope fulfilled by God's kindness. We can see his sovereign hand at work. As the reapers make their way through the fields, Ruth comes and she's gleaning what is left behind. There's boundary markers where you can see different parts of the field are owned by different people, but there's no fences. So Ruth is able to move freely about uh, in various parts of the field 
uh, owned by different owners in an attempt to gather as much as she can. There's a series of events that does not happen by chance, but by God's perfect ordering. And there's not enough time to talk about all of the details that God lines up to make this happen. At the beginning of the day, Ruth and Naomi's prospects are one, one way. At the end of the day, it's amazing the change that happens. This ray of hope from God is, is huge for their lives. It changes their prospects. And the amount of details that, go, that, that line up is nothing short of astounding and could be ascribed to nothing else than, the, than God's sovereign hand. We first see that Ruth does not get physically assaulted or harassed by any of the reapers before she comes to the field of Naomi's relative. And then in God's providence, Ruth comes to a part of the field owned by one of Naomi's relatives. And at the same time, he arrives from the city. He's been in Bethlehem and he comes and he comes exactly that same time. She arrives. His name is Boaz, which means in him is strength. Boaz is a capable man. He's a man of means, a man of standing in the community. Verse one calls him a worthy man. And in verse four, it is by no mistake that this small but very significant detail is included by the narrator, how Boaz greets his employees. The salutation he uses invokes the Lord. And it is because the narrator can't talk about Boaz all day. He just gives us a glimpse, a little microcosm of Boaz's life. And the microcosm of his life is here that way down in the small things, Boaz honors God. One commentator calls this a God-saturated life that all the way down to the details, Boaz is honoring God. You might notice that whenever, back in verse two, Ruth says, when she's talking about the hope she has, she doesn't have everything figured out. She just has a hope. And she says, she says uh, to give her permission, let me go to glean of the field, go to the field, glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Who is she gleaning after? Reapers. She's, she's hoping that maybe a, glean, a, a reaper will show her kindness. But God has much bigger plans. And he brings the man who owns the field and employs the reapers. He shows kindness to her. A man who can give her access to the, the employee's only drinking water and give her food, and give her hospitality. Do more than a reaper could have just not assaulting her, or maybe, maybe leaving a few, few standing grains for her. The, the man who owns the field is taking notice of her, and that's the next thing that we see in, in God's providence here. We could easily skip over that, but think about it. Boaz is, he's an employer, He's a busy man. He has fields. It's harvest time. He's in work mode. And guys don't notice non-work things when they're in work mode. That's just, that doesn't happen. God is guiding this and he takes notice of her. And you can see, you can see that, that, that parallel here. We're gonna get to it, how Boaz is a type and a foreshadow of Christ. And, and Christ took notice of us in our situation, our need for him, he noticed us. His eye was upon us and he came in mercy to us. So we're, we're gonna get to that. But, but here's another thing. Sometime before verse seven, before Boaz notices Ruth, he's already been prepped. He's already been told by someone all about Ruth. Somebody has got his ear and said, have you heard about Ruth the Moabite, she's come back. And have you heard about all the good things that she has? She left her people, her native land, her parents. She's left the gods. She didn't bring any of them with her. And she, she's been caring for her mother-in-law, whom she has no obligation to. Her mother-in-law actually told her to, to go, to go. And she clung to her. And she came back and she's here in Bethlehem. So that, set, that was told to Boaz 
it's not in the narrative, but it, we can see that it has happened. And, and so Boaz is impressed. He's really impressed. As far as it concerns him, he doesn't see a foreigner. He sees a good woman. In verse 12, he makes a striking statement. He says this, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is not just speaking of himself. God may have given that command to his people not to take Moabites in, but all along, God, God, God knew what he was gonna do with Ruth. And he knew that he, what he was going to do with his son at the cross and that all peoples from every tribe and every tongue and every nation would have hope in him. He knew that he was going to do that. And so I guess you could say God breaks his own rule here, but he can, right? He can do that. He broke, he broke his own rule and he starts showing kindness to Ruth through Boaz. And he, he, you, could even, you could even say that behind Elimelech's disobedience way back in the day, God had a plan. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't tempt Elimelech to sin. He doesn't tempt people. And he didn't, he didn't force Elimelech to do that, but he was, he was behind it. He was orchestrating events that would, that would eventually lead to Ruth and Naomi's redemption and would eventually lead to, to Ruth being part of the line that would eventually bring about the redeemer of all humanity, that God would lavish his kindness on everyone, all of rebellious humanity. Boaz here, it's, his statement is so striking whenever he says, especially the last part, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We, we were talking about in verses, uh, verse two, about, uh, and, and, and in the last chapter, about Ruth's faith. And Boaz is, she may not understand everything that the, the, the spirit of God and the grace of God is working in her, but, but Boaz, it's as if he's prophetically affirming what has taken place in Ruth's heart and what God is doing. There is evidence of the grace of God at work in her. And like I said, she may not understand everything, but at this point, Boaz looks at it and he's like, you didn't come back here because you have a, a, a mere hope in man. You came back here because you believe in the kindness of God's heart. You came back to take refuge under his wings. Ruth came to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law because she believed in the kindness of God's heart. And the narrative doesn't tell us all about that and how that developed. It just shows us that it developed. And we know where it came from. It came from God. So, so Boaz notices her and he's impressed and he, and he speaks this prophetic affirmation to her of what God is doing in her life. He, he recognizes it. And then he proceeds to lavish favor and kindness on Ruth throughout the day. He says, stay in my field. Don't risk going into another's field. I'll, whatever you need to glean and more, you will get it from my field. He charges the young men not to touch her. He, then he instructs, his, he instructs them, do more than just leave the inadvertent falling grain. Pull some out for her and just leave it for her. Show her this kindness. Then he invites her to have a meal with him. He provides a meal for her, shows her hospitality, gives her access to the employees drinking water. Last week, John talked about coming back into the warmth of the presence of the Father. For Naomi, who was born in, in Israel, this is a return, coming back to the presence of the Father. For Ruth, who was born in an enemy nation from a canceled people, she wouldn't have had the experience of the presence of the good heavenly father. So think about Ruth's experience right now. She's being shown this lavish kindness by Boaz and it feels distinctly different than any love or kindness she had experienced in Moab. And Ruth, 
Ruth's story mirrors our justification. In a way, we were all canceled people. We were enemies to God. None of us, all of us were canceled. When it came to heaven, canceled. You're not coming. You are my enemies. You are rebels to my kingdom and you deserve judgment. That's where we were. We were enemies to God. God, in his kindness, he didn't wait for us to repent because we never would have on our own. That wouldn't have originated in us. He didn't wait for that. Instead, while we were sinners, he loved us. While we were enemies, he came to us in kindness and he brought us, he brought us in. Boaz is a type and a foreshadow of Christ. And he was, in a way, so to speak, he was God's kindness that God wrapped up in flesh and blood and gave as a gift to Ruth. He gave him to her because she could have never earned it. She could have never secured a man like this without God intervening. A man of means, a man of standing. He could be risking his reputation by marrying, not a hard word, (laughs) marrying a Moabite. They made a commitment a long time ago. We're not going to marry these people. God wrapped up his kindness in flesh and blood and gave it to Ruth. In Ruth's life, if she, if she were to talk about God's kindness, she might stand before you and say, kindness, to me, it came drenched in sweat and it smelled like the field. And one day it spread a garment over me to keep me warm and accept me as a bride. That's how kindness came to me. It came personally, and it was real, and it was powerful. When we say God's kindness, does it, does it conjure up to you an intellectual, purely academic concept? Is it something that is sterile and is disconnected from everyday experience? Do we talk about God's kindness so that we're having the right talk that we're supposed to have as good Christians? Like, yeah, God is kind. God shows me kindness all the time. Name it. What does it look like in your life? Don't just say God's kind to you because God is kind to you. What does it look like in your life? He has personally, he has uniquely for your life entered your experience. He's brought his kindness into your experience. We're celebrating Advent right now. The the very apex of God's kindness being shown to rebellious humanity, where God came and entered our experience in flesh and blood. He came down and took on flesh and blood and lived like us and was tempted like us and experienced suffering with us. He came, Emmanuel, God with us. God's kindness came in full force and fullest expression. We're celebrating that in Advent. It should remind us to think about all of the ways to bring to mind all the ways that God has in real, personal, numerous ways God has shown us kindness. For me, I'll just name one out of tens of thousands. We don't have time. I'll name one. For, God, for me, God's kindness every day is, is, is that moment when I come home from work and my wife and my little girl come and they give me a smile and a hug. That's God's kindness Behind them, behind their kindness is God saying, I love you and I'm giving this to you because I love you and because I'm kind, not because you deserve it, not because you performed well last week or you performed well the first 25, 30 years of your life, but because I'm kind and I'm giving my kindness to you. Here is a real personal way where you can experience and enjoy my kindness. Kindness to me also smells like, kind of bizarre, kind of smells like that cheap green tea that you'd get at a Japanese hospital. I don't know if any of you've ever been there. I have. I almost died two years ago. I had a heart arrhythmia and I was unconscious. And I, I woke up in an ambulance, basically. And, and whenever, I, whenever, I, whenever I had totally come to, they said, it was nasty at that point. It's acquired taste. It's a, it's to, I love it now, maybe because it reminds me of God's kindness. 
He's like, mm, kindness. Um, <laughs> thought it'd taste differently. <laughs> um, it comes in a lot of packages. It comes in numerous packages through numerous people. It smells different ways, and it sounds differently. It looks differently. God is wrapping up his kindness and giving it to us. He, that, that green tea reminds me of God's kindness because I could not be standing before you here today. A doctor told me, man, you, you really could have died. A very real chance you could have died. Um, you are, for within his theological framework, he said, you're lucky. I know God showed me immeasurable kindness and that I'm here standing before you today. And, and those doctors that, that treated me, the doctors who worked on me, God's kindness. Um, we're not in debt, even though I have no idea what this piece of metal costs uh, in Japan. Uh, I think it, was, it may have been upwards of $100,000. The, 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 the device and the surgery, and they give us a private room, and Melissa and the um, Mahari were able to stay with me. God's kindness lavished on us. We, we barely paid anything for this. I have an ICD that it doesn't really do anything, but if I have another heart arrhythmia, it will shock me, which will not feel like kindness, but is kindness. <laughs> well, mm, kindness. <laughs> kindness will wake you up in the morning. Sometimes kindness doesn't, it's unexpected how it looks and feels. My, my daughter, Mahari, she's two, so she wants kindness to be ice cream at breakfast and tea, Peppa Pig all day. Peppa Pig marathon and ice cream. Um, out of my kindness, I don't wrap it up that way every day um, because she would be regretting my kindness coming to her that way every day when her health suffers and she's uh, got an attention span that's like this, you know? And so I don't give that to her. Sometimes God in his kindness doesn't fulfill a hope that you have because that hope didn't originate with him. He didn't give you that hope. Maybe that hope was something that came out of my desire of the flesh or my desire of the eyes or my lust. And God doesn't fulfill it in his kindness. He doesn't fulfill it. And when God fulfills or doesn't fulfill, either way, we are never, we never regret that. We are always glad in the end, afterward, later on when we look back in wisdom and the 2020 hindsight, we're like, so glad you didn't give that to me, God. Uh, I'm so glad there's things that when I was 19 that I went full force towards that I wanted and just barely I didn't have. And God in his kindness, it actually, I experienced very hurtful things when I was 19. I was like, how could this be God? I look back now and I'm like, wow, that was nothing but God. Nothing but God. He had to drag me kicking and screaming away from the thing that I wanted. I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad he took me by force out of that because my life, I wouldn't be standing here. I would not be standing here. I don't know where I'd be if he had granted that to me. In the moment, I was, I was bitter and I was like, why did you let this happen? And now I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I still thank him. And I'm 33. It's been 14 years. Thank you for not letting me have that, God. Thank you for dragging me away from that. So we're moving from hope fulfilled to hope restored. We would do well as we're moving out of hope fulfilled. We would do well in your quiet times this week. Just reflect on and write down as many as you can think of the the instances that you can think of in which God has personally and uniquely shown you kindness and the packages in which God's kindness has come to you. So we're moving to hope restored. Verse 18, Ruth returns home. 
and Naomi, and I'm trying not to pick on her too much because I've been there and a lot of you have been there. We've been bitter. We've felt disillusioned. We've felt discouraged. And uh, I love that verse. I think it's in Proverbs, I think, where uh, John Ransom brought it up one time. The one who sings loud and joyfully in the morning while his neighbor is going to, through like tragedy. It's like, that's not smart. That's not good. Don't do that. So if you've experienced that, you know, God's word is behind you. That's not right, you know? And so I'm not, trying not to pick on Naomi here. It'd be easy to pick on her in her bitterness. But you know what? I've been there. I've been there, and I needed grace. I needed sensitivity. I needed kindness. And I know many of you have gone through things that, that have caused your heart to, to grow a, a, some bitterness, and, and you don't need condemnation. You, don't, you especially don't need people who are right next to you singing extra loud God's praises, you know, just to rub it in your face, but instead somebody entering your experience and, and entering in a real personal way to show God's kindness to you. So we do see and, and we hear in verse 19, Naomi's first positive words. And uh, it, it, it's, it's in response to Ruth. She comes in the door. She's stumbling in the door because she's, she's gathered an ephah of barley. I know, I had to Google it too. I don't measure things in ephahs. We don't do that these days. I don't even think Google has a, you know, where there's like centimeters and, you know, they don't have ephah on there. So you got to go deep into Google. Um, an ephah is, all right, I'm not an expert, but this thing, this, thing was, this thing was pretty big. And that's why I elicited the response it did from Naomi. Uh, it's probably like one of those colossal bags of dog food that you can buy at the store. You know, you're, if you're like me, you want to, I don't have a dog, but if I had a dog, I'd buy the big one so that I don't have to keep going back to the store every time the dog's ate up that bag of dog food. I buy, the, I buy two or three bottles of shampoo. My wife comes home with one. I'm like, hun, I'm just looking towards the future. It's gonna be empty and I don't wanna go back. I'm just saving time. Um, so she comes in, she's, got, she's like breaking under this weight of this huge bag of food that she's brought in. And Naomi's like, She's so surprised. She like, she just like, she probably like blurts it out like involuntarily. She just says a blessing. She doesn't even know who has shown her this kindness. She's just like, blessed be the man who showed you kindness. You've got an admirer. Somebody likes you. Wow. Wow. Ruth puts down the bag and, and Naomi takes it in for a second and she, she's got this mound of food graciously given, sitting in front of her, and her heart begins to soften and begins to warm. Ruth tells her who has shown her favor, and it's Boaz. And Naomi then speaks another blessing specifically over Boaz, but look what happens. Look what she says in there. She, 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 she blesses Boaz, but in her blessing, she ultimately ascribes Boaz's kindness to God's kindness. Although Boaz was the person to show her kindness, the Lord has orchestrated what transpired and, what, and ultimately it was his kindness that was expressed through the kindness of Boaz. There is even a hint of repentance here and hope beginning in verse 22. If you can detect it in verse 22, Naomi tells Ruth, to heed Boaz's words, she says, yeah, work, work along with his women and stay in his field. Do what he says. This is unlike her. This is her taking back what she and her husband Elimelech did years before when they left Bethlehem in search of greener pastures. Naomi is telling Ruth to stay. She's saying, stay. You can you can trust God to continue giving you kindness. I was wrong. We were wrong to leave. And yet God's hand was against me bitterly, but he's shown me kindness and we can trust him to be faithful to his, to his covenant. That is what is beginning to happen in Naomi's heart. And you'll see it bloom and blossom in chapters three and four. And we're gonna begin to conclude here. We're gonna bring it around one commentator says about the book of Ruth, he says, Ruth was written 
that we would abound in hope. It was written not to just chronicle Ruth's story so that Ruth could have glory, but so that God would have glory, not just in Ruth's life, but in our lives, that we would abound in hope in God. Because when we hope in God, we are saying, we need you. You're the one we depend on. We can't do this. You're God, we're not. And God would get the glory from generation to generation. All those who would read this book and say, look at this. The one who came from the enemies of God, God drew her out, just like he drew me and you out. We were enemies to God, and he drew us out, and that we might abound in hope. Throughout this series, let us take hope in God's covenant faithfulness. Because his, he is faithful, his kindness will always come. There's darkness, there's pain, there's suffering, there's brokenness, there's, there's all of this that we'll, we will experience Sometimes it will feel like we do not see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know how it's going to come, but God's kindness will come because he is faithful. We don't clean up our act in order for his kindness to come, in order to, to, to tempt God or lure him in or to, to say, God, look, I'm, I'm awesome now. I stopped doing that and that. Please show me kindness, please. God wants us to say, God, I can't clean myself up, ultimately. I could stop doing this and stop doing that, but I need your work inside of me to truly draw my heart away from those gods and those idols and out of darkness. You're the only one who can truly bring light into this darkness. I'm the one who made a mess, and that's about all the power I have is to make a mess. You're the only one who can clean it up. You're the only one who can draw me out. I fell down in the well. You're the only one who can pick me up and draw me out. I've been memorizing Psalm 103. Early on, it says, he has, he has uh, the one who draws your life out of the pit, the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, that the Lord is the one who uh, is abounding in steadfast love, the forgiver of your iniquity, the healer of your diseases. He, he makes you to be, uh, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's the one who does it. And in verses eight through 12, it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Naomi's bitterness, get this, Naomi's bitterness did not prevent God from showing her kindness. Ruth had a hope that she was expressing. Naomi, get this, one more thing. Very iffy that she let Ruth go out in the field by herself. Very iffy because Commentators say it's not clear why Naomi did not join her in the field. She's probably in her 50s. There's nothing in, in the text that says she could have done nothing to help Ruth. Um, she didn't go. She let Ruth, the young foreign woman with no family, go alone. Pretty iffy. Um, God shows us kindness when we make some really iffy decisions and when we do some really iffy things and we're just like wow I did that's like unacceptable I'm ashamed but God's kindness comes to us anyway he comes to wipe away our shame he comes to forgive he comes to draw us into his family he comes with kindness even though we're bitter, he comes in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our bitterness, in the midst of our sins, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our inability to do anything to commend ourselves to him. He comes and he rescues. This is the heart of the gospel. And it points to, like I said earlier, the, the apex of God's kindness. When Christ came and he died on behalf of sinners so that God could lavish his mercy on rebellious humanity. And I'll, I'll end with this quote. One commentator said, it's amazing how God was quietly working through the tragedies of this little family 
to bring about the continuation of the line that would eventually bring the redeemer of everyone, the one who will eventually wipe away every tear, the one who will, will rid us of every sorrow, will bring us into a new heavens and a new earth, the one who lavished mercy on us and brought us into his family, into this fellowship who redeemed us and gave us a new name that is not one of bitterness, one that celebrates God's love and kindness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you that for what you did in it and that it was recorded that we might sing and speak, remember your faithfulness, not only to Ruth and Naomi, that we would remember your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness and kindness to us shown in all circumstances, not because of what we've done, but despite what we've done. Despite what we have done and what we have said and we've thought and what is growing in our hearts, you come and you show us kindness. We pray, Lord, that this kindness would, would, be, would grow and flourish in our community, our church family here, that it would spill out to those who are not part of our church family, that it would spill out onto the streets of Okinawa, to a people living in darkness with hopes that are not founded on you, with really no hopes, that your kindness and your hope would would, uh, would cause us to, to spring uh, forth in, in, in kindness to others and speaking the gospel and of, your, of the hope that we have in you to others who, who have never heard the name of Jesus and don't know who you are. And let us, Lord, show it to each other and remind each other whenever, because uh, we all need it, and many times in our lives, whenever that bitterness is growing in us or whatever is beginning to grow in us, that we would speak to each other and we would help each other and show your kindness to each other. We thank you. We ultimately ascribe all of this to you, Father God. You're the one who's brought it about. You're the one who has rescued us. You're the one who's given us kindness. And you're the one behind all the kindness we receive. We pray in Jesus.